0: On today's show, we're cutting through the hype and examining the real-world applications of AI. Join us as we talk to experts, explore case studies, and ask the tough questions about the potential risks and downsides of this powerful technology. Get ready for an illuminating discussion about the pros and cons of AI adoption. And yes, I did ask ChatGPT to write that introduction as if we were the daily show. But we do have a great panel today, so, first, um, I'd like to welcome Professor Michael Barrett, who he does so much at CJBS, but I like to think of him as doing teaching everything digital. Welcome, Michael.
1: Nice to be with on the show. Thank you, Conrad.
0: Then we have Kellyanne Ripner. She's an EMBA alum and she worked on a startup idea here at CJBS's Accelerator and is now COO and co-founder of FinCrime Dynamics. So welcome, Kellyanne. Thank you for
2: the invite, Conrad.
0: And lastly, we have Colleen Larson, who is an MBA alum and AI evangelist. She's worked with many businesses to adopt AI solutions in an ethical manner. So welcome, Colleen.
3: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Kellyanne, if you could start maybe with um, talking a bit about the company that you our CEO and co-founder, FinCrime Dynamics. And basically, how does it use AI and what's the problem that it tries to solve?
2: Of course. So simply we use AI to fight financial crime. And financial crime affects us all from not just the big newspaper money laundering issues, but also just the average day crimes that affect your friends, even your granny, and often it's like in your own fault. So you can see here some, some figures on the actual problem of financial crime. They are quite large and they are increasing. So even by twenty-four percent last year in the UK alone, and we, as an as a organisation, we in fact globally two hundred and thirteen billion dollars is spent on financial crime compliance per year, which is which is a fair amount. So what we do in FinCrime Dynamics is use AI to try and fight this by creating synthetic data and running simulations around financial crime.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Kellyanne. And I wanted to ask, how does AI help in ways where, you know, previously I'm sure, you know, financial crime has been around since the dawn of money. So people have obviously been trying to combat that. What is the difference that AI makes for financial institutions when it comes to this problem?
2: So we, we have a phrase that we're the financial crime vaccine. So as an example, you would model a virus. And if I go on to slide number two, you can see that as you model a virus, we model crime. And then we use accounts and transactions. And you can see this in the first part. Then that starts to build immunity, similar to your body. You then inject the vaccine into your body and the body starts to fight and build up immunity. And that's what we do in regards to financial institutions, payments, cryptocurrency exchanges. And then eventually the third part here is protection. Unfortunately, we can't say fully protected because that's not possible. The viruses are always changing, as is financial crime. But what does happen is we start to slowly build protection and we do that using and generating synthetic data, which is very much the fuel for machine learning. And we simulate crime and financially benchmark performance.
0: Mm. So can you tell us a bit more about what is this synthetic data? Is it sort of, you know, based on past instances of financial fraud and we just develop some rules, stress test the system, or is there more to it?
2: So synthetic data is um, a very interesting topic and um, as a whole, it's known more uh, frequently today, but it has been around for some time. And so it's really great that we're talking about AI and synthetic data in our normal day-to-day language. In short, it's reliable data in that it's an analytical twin. It's also scalable, which is great when you have large sums of data. And finally, it's also client-sensitive, so particularly relevant in the medical world and also in the financial crime world, where data and um, specifics are kept hidden, let's say.
0: Mm. Mm. And I think this is a good time to um, open it up to Michael and Carleen as well, which is one of the... Things about AI, like companies that use AI to sell services, like FinCrime, everything you know it becomes such a competitive advantage. Your model becomes such a competitive advantage. The data that you use to train the model, right? But everything becomes like a black box. So, how should uh, clients or businesses who are approached by startups like FinCrime, how should they assess which one works and? what is the quality of the data that they,
1: they use? Carly, you want to start? Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy
3: to go first. I was looking at you nodding. Yeah. Um, so that's a tough one. So for companies that are procuring AI solutions from startups, there are a couple of ways they can go about it. Um, obviously, they want to have trust in the system that they're buying um, for This this solution specifically, it's my understanding that the company would come with their own small data set and then synthetic data would be built out of it to extrapolate up the number of rows and parameters of data that they have, right? So I think if that's the basis, the initial data set needs to be unbiased, right? Um, It needs to be assessed to make sure that once it goes through this engine and you've gone from a small data set to a larger data set, you know, it's it's checked for things like, the initial data set is checked for things like trust, um, it's checked for things like fairness, it's checked for things like bi- bias, right? So you don't wanna take a poorly data set and make more data out of it. So that's the first instance. Um, I would say also organizations need to ask these smaller companies, what is the ethical process that goes into your product design? Oftentimes people think of regulation and governance after the fact, when the model is in the wild. But as you're building and solving that problem, who's at the table? Um, Do they come from varied backgrounds? And most importantly, when I speak to the developers and machine learning specialists, a lot of them experience decision fatigue, right? So they're not ethicists themselves, and they're not the expert on if they should be solving it. Is this right? How is this gonna affect um, customers and humanities five, 10 years down the line? So has an ethicist been a part of that product development life cycle, right? Um, And asking startups like, what is your design process? Who's in the room? Where do do developers and machine learning specialists have an avenue to vet some of their concerns, if any, and correct course before the model is released into the wild? Because, yes, the EU has been working on regulation for four or five years now. I know the U.S., they've come up with regulation in the last two to three years, but that's after the fact. (laughs) If you start earlier, there's less damage and less to fix, less brand reputation to correct um once it goes wild that's my but.
1: yeah fantastic maybe just to build on on that the the whole idea of um selecting and, and who does selecting uh, for large companies let's say of startups increasingly in the research that i'm doing with colleagues we we see how important uh the the, the, the building of bringing together of who are appropriate um companies like like um uh, simone uh, like the ones that that finn uh, crime has suggested and the extent to which ethical design and uh, and how the algorithms are developed is, is a big part of how they evaluate uh the the which of the applications to bring forward to the companies so uh, the the matching of the problem and the 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 ethical design and the development really hugely important and that leads to the, the avenue of trust which curline also mentioned about because what we've seen in a lot of organizations, large companies, is that whether it's an external company, uh, meaning an AI company, or having their in-house data scientists and, um, and teams of analytics developers, to what extent they are actually working closely uh, with the business owners to understand uh, the problem and, and to understand information governance that needs to go into the product hugely important as to whether or not trust is built up around the applications that are built. And then one of the, the outcomes that we're seeing in the research is that there's a lot of what we call trust transference, where if the data is either seen to be poor or not appropriate, or the algorithm is not built well uh, because of lack of good, unbiased training data, then uh, the, 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 the person who represents that, that model, meaning the, the analytics and the data scientists are, are not trusted either, And this leads to huge delays and slowdowns in adoption of of, of what could be helpful and and valuable applications. Maybe one other last point to to briefly mention is the the regulators, again, hugely important, uh, especially those that are looking at um, successful companies that are starting to grow very large uh, in certain narrow domain areas, the extent to which they they have too much of an advantage in the market and whether there's anti-market uh, play for, for consumers. Uh, yes. So that's another really important factor to look into.
2: I think where you've Before mentioned I... trust, um, I'm just going to add that transparency oh, yeah. Go goes hand in hand with trust. Um, and I think with AI and models, transparency is, is particularly important, even to the extent of how do you control the training process, for example, and particularly the inputs so the training data and the metrics, which are the outputs. Um, and perhaps even in some cases, having a less complex but more transparent algorithm might be a, a trade-off to facilitate both the trust that you mentioned there um, and therefore the transparency.
1: Great point. Yeah.
2: And explainability, not to beat this topic, right? But
3: you know, if you can explain how you got to the answer that you got to, that also goes a long way in terms of peeking into the black box.
2: Definitely, and not to talk about synthetic data too much, but it actually offers a unique advantage because, in terms of training and testing the AI models, um, using high quality synthetic data actually improves both accuracy and effectiveness of models. So, it enables you to better serve clients and therefore mitigate risks as well. But I love the way you put it, Simone, about into the wild before you just release <laughs> it. It's a, it's a nice expression.
1: Yeah. Just, just so wanted...
0: before I ask Kellyanne, um, actually, what are the questions that her potential clients have posed, whether trust, mm-hmm. ethics, transparency, are those main questions? Just wanted to highlight or um, give a shout out to s- some of the viewers today. So we have Shamin, who says uh, they've already started AI in their business with tremendous results. So great there. Um Manuel is a fan of Michael Barrett's Digital Innovation and Transformation Program. So thank you so much for joining us. Um,
1: nice to see you,
0: man. Mar- watching this from Bolivia. Krista's from Bermuda. Bermuda. Um, Vivek asks, will a recording be shared afterwards? Yes, you just have to go back to this the same link on YouTube or LinkedIn and you can watch the recording. Um, and... Yeah, so if we go back to Kellyanne, what are some of the big questions that, or main questions that uh, potential clients of yours ask about your AI model?
2: I'd say it's um, maybe asking what's the comparison between what had been done previously. Um, and say, so for example, at the moment, when one looks at rule-based approach, um, AI and machine learning is very further, let's say further along, the chart in regards to both um, detection and efficiency. And, and so that really helps in regards to trying to detect financial crime, And mm-hmm. um, that would be the, the the differentiator between before and now using AI machine learning. Yeah.
0: And I, I love this slide that you, you gave, gave me, um, Kellyanne, which is, let me just hide this, which is, if you can talk us through a bit about what this slide is, 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 is uh, trying to convey in terms of going from the lower left to the upper right.
2: Of course. So lower left, we have rule-based. So this is a wide net. Now, if you imagine, in this case, your rule-based system is as good as the person that created it. And um, with all respect, if you imagine someone that's not necessarily that creative or imaginative, then the rules based around that are, are similar. But of course, the world's constantly changing. So how often do you check this? How often do you update it and train them? So as we move up this diagram to scenario based, which is slightly more effective and also cost efficient in regards to detection, that those alerts come from the tree scenario to evaluate risk. Moving further, we have risk weighted. So that's where you actually expose the exposure of alerts um, more apparent. And finally, the most cost-efficient and effective detection is, is machine learning. And that's ultimately where you're able to lower false positive alerts for behavioral de- detection. A- and that's where, that's where we work. That's where the AI part comes in. Mm.
0: Yeah, I many, many years ago when I was doing my undergrad, I did computer programming. And basically, I was, I now see that I'm stuck in that lower left where I'm just trying to figure mm-hmm. out um, you know, through programming where you hardwire everything, and I can't get my head around machine learning. So, yeah. <laughs> but we've got a couple of questions here as well. So the, I think this next question for Carleen from which is from Saswati, um, she asked, how would you recommend going about a- ethics in AI when you implement AI models in a business?
3: Um, so, if you've gotten to the implementation stage, I don't want to say it's a bit too late, but if you're getting to implementation and ethics hasn't been a part of your product lifecycle, perhaps it's make sure is to make sure that you have the governance tools to monitor your deployment. Uh, make sure there's no model drift. Make sure new data that's being fed into the model as it's operationalized isn't skewing the results. Right. Um, If you are talking about early on in the cycle, um, there are many ethicists um, available on LinkedIn who advertise their services. But what I would say what's key in bringing ethicists into the fray is making sure that they are well-versed in your industry and the specialism of AI that you're focusing on. In the types of data that you're focusing on and then also an ethicist that specializes um, in legal in the regulatory aspect of it as well and they could be i'm not saying a team of five to seven people it can be at least three people but these are the considerations um, you need to bring in so the technique that's used for prediction and deep neural networks and large um language models are different, right? So there might be a that specialize in different areas of AI and machine learning, um, but also making sure that they get your industry and the problem that you're trying to solve.
2: Perhaps um, I might add that doing audits on AI models can also be really helpful um, for the internet. Yeah, exactly the fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so businesses can establish clear criteria for assessing the performance of the AI system
1: as well as accuracy and fairness i can just say a little bit from a, 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 what everybody's using now to chat gpt that the whole sense of uh you know the it's in some ways amazing the, the human-like um r- replies that we're getting um not there yet of course in in, in total <laughs> especially if you talk to some of my sort of uh computing colleagues who still call it a stochastic parrot uh, but, or a puppet but because of what it's drawing on, but it's still an amazing step forward. And, and the child, what's really wrestling with me ethically is the the idea of how it can be used uh, to create very believable uh, but inaccurate and and therefore misleading pieces of content, which really can lead to disinformation, misinformation, uh, in a way that we haven't seen before. And it's a and very interesting ethical and social dimension that will play out. Uh, and, and indeed, uh, no doubt regulators will be involved to help with that. But it's a fascinating stage that we're at in, in thinking of, of of the ethics and the social impact.
0: Yeah, and this is a good time to bring in Jeremy's comment, which is we've mm-hmm. talked trust and transparency, uh, but uh, ChatGPT has... Is the fastest-growing uh, adopted platform, right? Hundred million in two, two users in two months, and it's the worst one in terms of non-transparency. So, is transparency such a major business um, factor or decision? When again, if you look at how Microsoft is trying to keep everything black box so that Google doesn't take does, doesn't steal a march on it, is this really very how important is transparency versus? gaining, retaining that competitive advantage?
3: Um, In my experience, it all comes down to ROI and impact on the business, the bottom line and the brand. So I think these large AI first, tech first company will hold on to their models and not necessarily play to the transparency angle until (laughs) a catastrophe happens, right? And they they go into recovery mode. I think for smaller companies, for startups, so I've come across founders who were ex-Google, ex-Facebook, ex-Microsoft, VP of Engineering, VP of AI ML, and their primary concern are the ethical considerations, because they can't take the hit uh, that a Microsoft and a Google can take in terms of the fines or the shaming of the brand, right? Um, I think I think that it is important to recognize that we as consumers, we have short memories, right? So for we give more of the AI and tech-first large B-myths um, considerations that we might not give smaller companies. Um, but I think it's a play between ROI, brand damage, and who can really get away with what. Um So, they might not take it into consideration, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come and bite them in the head a couple of months from now.
0: Yeah, I, I have to mention how Microsoft put as a disclaimer to ChatGPT that it can sometimes give you usefully wrong answers. <laughs> right. It can do that. <laughs> pro- proper, I don't know whether it was the legal or the marketing guys who who came up with that 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 phrase, but it's. I think it'll go down. Uh, on the same level as fake news um, it's
1: a really important point though conrad because if you if you look at you know remembering what for example chat gpt is drawing on and, and how transparent we understand the quality of the data that it's drawing on you know in, the companies may have their own large language models and that they can if you like um, ha- circumscribe the, the the data sets but we know a lot of the data is is some of it's really good data but a lot of it is internet based which 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 again the quality of the data needs to be really looked at in in detail uh, so for example we might all trust a wikipedia sort of source uh, even though it's publicly available because of the reviewing cycle of the large boards of volunteers that are really trying to manage and curate effectively you know useful information so there is both the quality but also the timeliness you know uh, until we can see rapid updates, uh, depending on the importance of, uh, you know, uh, update frequency or, or, of the data for your models and for your business, well, you know, ChatGPT is, is, is going to be months behind. So it's really important to consider that, as well as data completeness, the extent to which is it able to capture, for example, if you're an engineer, is there adequate engineering data for, for, for doing a lot of your work? So, you know, whether it's the quality of the data, the timeless of the data or the completeness of it, these are the things to to understand and to be transparent about as to how that's going to affect the value of you using, um, you know, sources like uh, ChatGPT and large language models.
0: Yeah. And Kellyanne, I think this is a question for you. So Raj asks, when dealing with a dynamic, ever-changing problem like financial crime, how well can new models be developed to counteract new potential patterns that previous models may not have been solving for.
2: So I'm just going to read, read it quickly. So um, as a whole, how well can new models be developed to counteract new potential patterns? And so in regards to, to our business, we have a group of amazing advisors um, who are real people. Um, and um, we, they're experts in the field. And I think there's a case of ensuring that we're up to date with our models, but also taking input from our professional experts who have been working in the area a long time as well. So a combination of both AI expertise, mm-hmm. training the models, keeping up to date with both education as well as regulations, etc., mixed in with personal expertise is something that we try to do.
0: Mm. So it's not a case of just letting the model run wild, uh... But you need that. Exactly, there's that term that's come back in again. Yeah, you need that human um, supervision, or training, or continuing to train, provide new data to train it, and keep it up to date. Is that right?
2: Yes, and I'd say as a whole, um, in regards to a few of these questions, ongoing education training helps businesses stay informed, both within AI and best practices for ensuring ethical and unbiased AI. It also includes actual employees on the ethical implications of AI and how to identify potential biases, and businesses should also stay informed about emerging regulations and standards related to AI AI, and ensure their systems are in compliance as well. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps another item I would mention is actually collaborating with other providers, uh, industry professionals at at large, and trying to share some of the information um, across the ecosystem, of course, in a safe way. And so here we can talk about a collaborative landscape as opposed to just being a competitive one. This is one example where we, we talk about where we see it as spin crime dynamics, but ultimately there's always direct and indirect relationships, but ultimately it's about trying to look at reducing the overall impact that financial crime has to the everyday person. And so the more we can share information in a safe way, then that also helps all parties, let's say.
0: Okay, and we've got another question here from Nishant, and I'm gonna reframe this. So Nishant asks, how much time and cost does AI integration take to be put into uh, an application? So I guess it's a business process. So my qu- I'll reframe it and ask with, uh, start with Michael. Obviously, ChatGPT was adopted incredibly quickly Right, that kind of diffusion was in, in, incredibly quickly. What do you think, though, with business adoption of AI? How quickly will that? How, how how fast will that take? Is this a case that every business sees that they need to do some kind of AI adoption, and therefore the competitive market pressures mean that AI just go, goes uh, adopted really wide widely
1: across businesses?
0: Or is this going to be a much more slow, drawn-out process?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. Um, and it could be a long answer, I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> in, in that the, you know, especially with your last point there, what we've seen, and whether it's in healthcare or in different areas of financial services, is that AI in its current incarnation, third wave, it's been around 7-10 years. And a lot of potential, a lot of amazing opportunities to show task performance uh, in, in incredible ways. And a number of projects across the world, You know, that talking to common researchers in different sectors, are, are, are dismayed at how slow the process seems to be when you look at how it's actually been taken up. And, and part of that, I would say, is that we really finally fully understood that we've got to go beyond the idea of tasks and jobs occupations, which is important, but to see and understand uh, workflow and, and how these uh, AI tools are, are being really redesigning and integrating uh, with the workflow. So it's a really good question that's been posed. And, and I think that's sort of taken some time to really appreciate and understand um, and so I, I think that, you know, as you say, with ChatGPT, where there's enormous potential, right, there's a, you know, we're, we're very much at that peak, uh, in, you know, in sort of hype infl- inflation of, of what it can do. Uh, some recent work that I've been doing with colleagues in the, in the professional services sector really highlights that, indeed, that there are different kinds of, of tasks that, that, that will be more subject to changes in the workflow of different occupations. You think, for example, classification tasks, so things like patent searches, legal document searches, maintaining archives, these kinds of things, you're going to see a lot of take-up into the workflow. And what we've all learned ourselves from using ChatGPT is that it's not just about uh, plugging something in. The, The whole use of the dialogue and formatting and how you frame input, how you... You use uh, the answers to follow up with questions and, uh, and, and work with the tool. Really, uh, the more expert you are at that, that, the better it'll be useful for your workflow and, and improving it. So there are those classification tasks that we see a lot of potential automation for, but which would be quite different from, say, creative tasks, where you, we are still seeing an incursion with chat GPT, with things like marketing materials, presentations, and even sort of technical uh, creative tasks, uh, w- whether that's around you know for us as academics, uh, drafting lit reviews, things that get you started in the in the workflow that make you th- think about more widely course outlines that you're covering things that are are relevant, up to date, and very important. Um, so so lots of our automation, not of the whole task, but of parts of the task of of a of a of a, of, of a job uh, that is expected to, you know, be significant. You know, some some estimates are that about uh, maybe 40% of jobs in some way will be seeing an impact over the next 10 years. Uh, In terms of overall tasks, around 3%. That might not sound like a lot, but then when you translate that in the UK, it's about 800,000 employees which are going to be uh, significantly uh, influenced. And one of the, the key findings from that study that we've done is to to, to note that the displacement factor of, of AI like chat GPT will be offset by the creation of new tasks, right? Which we're all seeing, I just mentioned some of them, the way in which you, you, have, to, you have better edit, editorial tasks, verifying how you uh, work up uh, the, the, the analysis uh, on the, from the outputs, how you check for content, hallucinations and the like in a very different rhythm of how you perform your work in the future.
0: Mm. Kellyanne, do you see that kind of um, resistance from people within potential clients because they feel that their jobs or their tasks are at risk from something like thin crime or from, from AI?
2: So I'd say that as a whole, um, there's a lot of cross, cross-functional collaboration that's required um, to ensure that AI is as positive for the stakeholders as, as possible, let's say. So by regularly monitoring and assessing and updating AI solutions, that actually requires people to do so as well. Um, I think there's always a risk whenever there is any new technology, um, but ultimately there's spaces there's to ensure, ensure the ethics continue to be appropriate, that's transparent, and all of this often comes back down to, to the human as well.
0: And Simone, in terms of that business adoption, I mean, you've worked with many businesses. Uh, Are businesses quick? Do you find that businesses are quick to adopt AI into their processes or is there a fair bit of resistance?
3: So I've been working in AI since 2016. So I have a tech background, but was very much a generalist and then decided 2016 AI was the thing for me. And I've worked in different roles across the ecosystem. But initially... um, it was industries like advertising and marketing that were quick, especially online marketing and advertising that were quick to adopt AI. Um, The laggards traditionally were the highly regulated (laughs) industries. Um, I can't speak finance particularly, but particularly healthcare, right? Um, So I think this whole idea of synthetic data and protecting PII personally identifi- identifiable information helps goes a long way but sorry to take a step back to your original question initially what we saw what I saw was companies wanted to build it in-house themselves so a lot of POCs that were failing a lot of money that was being spent you know a shoe manufacturer that wanted to be the next Tesla right or the next Michelangelo Um, Platform, I think, is what Uber uses, but not realizing that actually they were better off procuring a system than spending the resources, building it from scratch. Right. So initially, a lot of POCs, a lot of failures along the way. And the last few years, companies have really taken and the ecosystem has grown as well. Companies has really taken to um, procuring solutions from startups and scale ups and I guess now eventually unicorns industry specific. Some industries were early adopters, right? Some industries I went into and they weren't even ready for the conversation. Not necessarily primarily because they thought that AI was going to take their jobs. They were just unknowledgeable, right? They had so many failed POCs behind them. They didn't even want to have that conversation. Um, On the point of how AI and how these large language models is going to reimagine the future of work. I am so excited to see this, right? So I've been watching the whole chat GPT conversation online for the last three months, I haven't said anything. But to me, what dawned on me is that it's the future of work that's in the next five to 10 years that's really gonna be affected, right? If we assume they get the ethics right and the transparency and the trust right, it's what someone who's graduating from university now what is their role going to be like in 5 years right we you know it's like we had wikipedia <laughs> now they have chat gpt what is that going to mean for roles and welcome. Mm. yeah
0: just, i'm i'm old enough to, to to remember ask jeeves so that that was, yes. that, that that really dates me yeah. but yeah michael you were you going to no, uh, yeah, I was just
1: going to say I, I think a lot of great points curdin has made there because and the time frames you know i think what we've been through is a period of you know, from an AI maturity perspective, becoming much more mature and now, had a, had a good, great booster through things like ChatGPT. Uh, and, and so I, I liken it to the fact that we're, we've been building over the last five years or more, the foundations, whether it's through, uh, as Curly mentioned, the, the widening the ecosystem, the uh, selection of, of, of great startups with ethically designed solutions, it's getting into place. If you think of a house analogy, It takes a long time to get, you know, the information governance uh, ready for AI, and 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 it looks like nothing's happening. Uh, But is this happening? And then, like the foundation of a house, once it's built, you can do the rest really quickly for those that are ready. So the idea of the AI maturity model uh, is very helpful in terms of where are you? Are you aware? of of the conversations on AI. Are you piloting? Are you working with startups? Are you integrating it into your workflow? Mm -hmm. Are you you, you sort of, quote unquote, getting to be more data-driven as an organization? Very different stages. And, and, you know, we see parallels. If you go back, and I can also date, (laughs) to the sort of e-commerce of the the 2000s and everybody think, oh, there's nothing really going on. This this little company, Amazon, and no one's following suit in retail. They'll be fine. And, you know, Debenhams going out of business a couple of years ago. In part, they weren't very digitally mature. There were other things there, but there's a similarity we're going to see, I think, with AI and AI readiness.
0: Yeah, and nothing can stop AI except maybe lawyers. So, your <laughs> Michael, your student Manuel, asks: When creating content, one question always arises: Where are the copyrights for content that AI has created? And also, what about the um, all the content? the copyrighted content that AI scrapes to generate new content, right? Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, do you want to take... take
1: yeah, I can start with that. I'm sure others can. It's a great question, Manuel. Still an amazing student okay, <laughs> and, and professional. Uh, it, it is, I think, the number one, one of the big issues with, for example, ChatGPT is, is the extent to which copyright protections or IP rights uh, will extend, right, to works which are used to train the algorithms and to develop the works created by the algorithm, how are they being accounted for? So, big regulation issues coming up around protection of copyright and IP. Um, you know, which I think will perhaps could very, very much impact. Um, you know, uh, how whether there be little there will be stutters along the way of of the this the rapid adoption of things like chat GPT. but. Hugely important um, question, which I think we're just at the start. Uh, you know, at the university we like to coordinate across the, the law faculty, and they do a lot of great work on these sort of issues of, of data and IP rights. And, and increasingly, we're going to in business and, and, and need to really see how to work with regulators again closely on on how these tools get used in the workflow, and and to be very sensible about their you know re- being aware of the importance of these these issues of copyright and and IP rights uh, from being used in developing the works from these algorithms.
0: Okay. And I think this next question from Krista is something that Kellyanne, probably FinCrime does quite a bit of, right? Uh, Krista asks, how would you manage integration of AI with protection of personal data?
2: So here, I. Don't want to talk too much about synthetic data, but again, unfortunately, the answer to this question is: uh, using synthetic data does take away that, that requirement, really. Um, and so, where it's being used in the medical world and you know very sensitive patient data, to where it's being used in the finance world and you have accounts and transactions, etc., using synthetic data really minimises this risk completely. And some, I have had a question from someone before saying, "Why not just use real data?" Well, that's the whole reason is to not use real data. By using synthetic data, you take away these risks, um, and therefore it just it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, synthetic data can be used to generate examples, and that then can help explain how AI systems make decisions, and um, and again goes goes back to the transparency and accountability there.
0: Mm. And I think we could have time for one last question, which. Since we're a business school, I think we we should pay some 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 time for this one. Uh, someone on LinkedIn asked, as a mature parent to a ten-year-old who is so interested in YouTubers and online games and content, I'm curious to see what happens in the near future to traditional workplaces and whether the traditional school system will keep up. And I think this was this we can start with Michael, as you're kind of on the front line. <laughs> of teaching.
1: Yeah. I mean I, I, of course you can imagine I do get a lot of questions just talking to some some leaders uh, yesterday at VT and uh, the, the question came up similar to this from the from a schooling perspective or from a university perspective how how are, how, how what do you believe or what's the university doing what's the business school doing with respect to uh, in, engaging and allowing for uh, these tools in the, the learning process and um, this is my personal opinion it, it's It's very controversial in terms of there's there are many different views on this, but uh, th- this is just here to stay with us, right We've, you've You've mentioned many times, Conrad, the amazing adoption rate of chat GPT, you know yeah, over 100 million in two months, and that's just going to spiral upwards. So you know we're, it's going to be used. Uh, my view is is that uh, we need to see how it's it, 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 it can be used appropriately ethically. Uh, and, and efficiently, and productively in the learning process, and in in doing, uh, for example, assignments, um, which will be what people will be doing in the real world anyway. So the issue then becomes um, ensuring accountability. So the extent to which then you you require in your you <clears throat> know your assessments uh, explicit provision of, of of the use of the, the tools, say ChatGPT, in in the framing and development of of how you how it helps you in developing. Um, you, your your work uh your essay your your project and 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 put provide that and that might even pro- get some marks uh and, and then how you've built on that to to provide your own creative uh, uh development of of the the, the project so it, it it's got to be i think embraced but integrated in a very uh sensitive uh, responsible way uh, but one where these are skills that that are going to differentiate people in the workplace as well if there are very effective in using them as a starting point for building knowledge. Mm.
0: Kellyanne, you obviously recruit people to to work in in your company. Do you feel that people out there have the right skills uh, when it comes to AI so that they can work in this exciting new field?
2: I think it's always a a process of continuous learning. I'm here because I'm an EMBA student at Cambridge back in 2018 and I think there's, the working world is constantly changing, as is the AI world. And Michael's answer just then about education, we could also mention the metaverse here. So, you know, how will that change the education system where we're able to particularly jump from today's era, maybe back into the dinosaur times and how would one live as, as a human then versus jumping, let's say, 200 years forwards. And how would we be? dealing with robots. Um, and I think one of your previous podcasts was around the, the Starship robot moving around the place. And um, so I think maybe you know, it's it's very exciting. It's exciting times. I know many of us can say a bad word about chat GPT, but ultimately it has meant that the average person knows what AI can do. For some people that has meant that they're scared about chat gpt can do which is good as well because as scared as you are about your personal data then you should maybe think okay well what protection am i taking what have i read are there any you know side items that i'm not aware of let me investigate a little bit more should i educate myself should i go and do a real course how does this affect my job today am i an accountant should i be an accountant with a little bit of ai experience just just in case um and so I, i think it's an exciting time uh, I'm excited to be involved in thin crime dynamics and using the vaccine analogy to say let's let's try and fight financial crime similar to how we fight viruses, but ultimately for me it's very much around education and not just sitting still and let something wave past you, but being proactive as, as much as possible.
0: Mm. And Colleen, you have the final word about
2: yeah, this. Yeah,
3: I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna keep it brief because we're at time. So I'm going back to the question and she mentioned that her child was 10 years old. So I would say building in healthy habits. As Michael said, technology is here to stay, but just probing us to, as a parent, for their children are you using the technology or is the technology using you, right? Um, you know, if they're preclusive, if they're interested in gaming or using it for educational purposes, as much as there's mindless content on YouTube. Whereas the balance, I think, from a teacher perspective, it's also setting the expectation to parents as to how tech should be used for homework, right? How it can be guided into their primary and secondary school lives. So by the time they get to university, there's more of a balance. And, you know, just be conscious that sometimes we're using the technology, but sometimes the technology is also using us.
0: That's a great comment, which I will tell my 11-year-old daughter who just got her phone this week. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Michael, Kellyanne and Colleen for, you know, this incredibly engaging discussion about AI. I'm quite sure that we, in one month, the whole picture is going to change because the, the yeah. field is just going so quickly. And I want to thank all of the viewers as well for, you know, all the comments, the questions. I'm sorry you couldn't get through all of them, but um, please Join us for next week's episode where we'll talk about how business school graduates are changing careers, what sectors are hot, what are not. So till then, um, stay, stay safe, be well, and I will see you next week. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you.